Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com because you won't find us on Google or Facebook. We respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And we are really uh, have a treat for you today because we are joined by Dr. Vandana Shiva, who we actually tried to interview about five or six years ago, as she reminded me, but she's coming to us from India. So we had some technical challenges and now we've overcome them and we're going to be <laughs> discussing some really intriguing information. One of it is about a book that she wrote. Uh, which is called, I believe, One and the, what is it? It's Oneness versus the 1%. Oneness versus the 1%, yes. And it's a, the, the book is actually a bit dated because it was written about two years ago, but she's updated it at the end. We're talk, talking about COVID-19. And I'm so, so excited because she is, a, if you don't know who she is, you should. She's an incredible combination of a, a, a brave, pioneer for social justice, but she's got a PhD in the philosophy of physics and focusing in quantum theory and combines that with just this passion to really reconcile and correct some of the injustices that are being done, specifically with things like Monsanto. She's been really profoundly effective in the GMO movement, especially in India, where her efforts have helped curtail the mass amount of suicides that were, were present as a result of the GMO intrusion into India with the GMO cotton. And so that's, uh, you know, part of history now. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us and uh, really excited. It's a to joy to join you, Dr. Marcola. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So uh, first, before we start, it's oneness and the 1%. And I guess I just had if we can start here, because the 1% is commonly uh, mistaken, but I think it's okay for it's, it's used as a euphemism because clearly the, the 1%, if you look at the 1% of the popul of the wealth of the popular of the world, it's only about $40,000. So and I'm sure you're not claiming that the, the average person in the U S is making more than $40,000 for sure. Uh, is part of this problem is really probably the 0.0001%, you know, the wealthy elite that is responsible for most of the messes that we're in. And I'm just wondering if you could set that record straight for us. Um, you are so right. It is about the 0.0001%, the handful of billionaires who, um, who've become super rich in the last 30 years of deregulation it's really a short period. Most of them didn't exist before globalization. Jeff Bezos and Amazon did not exist. He's the richest man. And any thinking person should be thinking of what's the process that puts him in that place. Bill Gates, about whom the book mm -hmm. is, because it started, you know, I was at Paris for the climate summit. 
And I've been doing these UN summits since the Earth Summit in 92. I've been doing the Biodiversity Convention drafting of clauses, including Article 19.1, which uh, basically required biosafety and assessment of GMOs. So I was very surprised that for the first time, the billionaires won the stage with the heads of state. And here they were offering solutions to climate change. Geoengineering mess up the total planet. If climate change is bad enough, now you engineer its temperature, you send the sunlight back, you put iron filings in the ocean, you create artificial volcanoes, you put chemicals in the sky to create weather modification and genetic engineering. And, um, and that's how the book started. I made a decision to write this book in Paris. And my young son, who is a wizard in researching this world of the 0.001%, helped me a lot. That's why he's my co-author. So it's just that, you know, 0.001% for the publisher. It's a very yeah. clumsy <laughs> figure on the cover. And, you know, and, you know, when she was asking me, what, give it to me in a type sentence, give it to me. Because I was explaining it in all the long language. And at a certain point, I said, well, it's, you know, it's that 1% super elite, greedy trillionaires now, and the rest of humanity, the rest of creation in oneness. Uh, so the oneness is 1% is really a metaphor of that point zero zero one. I was assuming it was a metaphor, and thank you for <laughs> confirming that. And it's interesting, a, a large portion of the book talks about the, we've had so many financial crises, but one of them was the 2008-2009 financial crisis that really... Uh, really catalyzed the beginning of m m much of this mess. And it's, it's interesting because it also catalyzed an innovation, which you don't talk about in the book, but I, I'm a big fan of recently. And that was uh, a, a technical innovation in the, in the area of, of finances, which is developed by Satoki Nashimoto, who developed Bitcoin, which I think could really serve as a hedge for many people in the world against what, what appears to be inevitable. But, um, you know, what I want to, you, you did write a lot in the book about the COVID-19 at the end, but I think, I think if we can focus on it now that we, you know, we have, we're, we're what, nine, uh, at least six, a full six months into this crazy engineered pandemic uh, that has really catalyzed uh, the uh, devastation of, and the, or actually the transfer of wealth to the, to the 1% is, is the metaphor. Uh, so I mean, they've got the, the 643 richest people in the world saw a transfer of 30% increase in their wealth. You know, we're looking at it from increasing from about 2.9 trillion to 3.8 trillion, nearly a trillion dollar increase because the U S fed has printed trillions, $5 trillion, probably go to $7 trillion real soon. Uh, and most, the majority of that did not go to help the average person. It went literally to these, these large corporations and individuals who are sucking that wealth out and just increasing the, the, the wealth gap even more. So, you know, the, the 2008 crisis was very, very clearly about deregulation of the financial economy. And you remember it was about collateral, it was about taking securities, bundling up risk, and then the system totally collapsed because it was really um, trading in fictions. Uh, 
but I've been, you know, working on the economy be because I started to work on the seed in 1987. The old companies whom I'd studied in my Green Revolution book now wanted to own and patent life. And that's how my journey on GMO started. But they also wanted to change the trade laws. They wanted to own seed as their creation, as if GMO meant God move over. And they wanted an intellectual property treaty in the GATT. I heard this first from them in a 1987 meeting in Bojave and Geneva at the United Nations. And that's when I decided, A, I would save seeds. B, I would keep track of what's the GATT and the WTO and the anti-globalization movement grew out of that in the International Forum on Globalization. And we shut down WTO in Seattle, which shows the power of the people. We will not allow this lie of seed being Monsanto's invention. And so I worked with our parliament, I worked with our government to write laws, Article 3J of our Patent Act, that says plants and animals and seeds are not inventions. This is what has prevented Monsanto from ripping off Indian farmers even more than they did. And they've been taken to court now for the illegal collection of technology fee, they call it. And uh, our Plant Variety Act, which says, you know, I told my minister, I said, they're lying to you that we have to give monopoly to this uh, industrial seed uh, system because Indian farmers are breeders. And they, he asked me to write this law, which says uh, farmers' right to save, exchange, breed, sell seed can never be taken away. And this one clause stopped Monsanto uh, Pepsi last year when, you know, they grow, they, they get farmers to grow potato. And then they sell the expensive chips, which ruins people's health. But of the 20 rupee package, only four paisi was going to the farmer. And then they sue the farmer for saving seed. 10 million rupees each farmer. And when I saw this in the newspaper, I sent my book on intellectual property to the lawyers and the court. And when they read, there's an article 39, they had, they, you know, when Pepsi woke up to this, they had to withdraw that case and stop chasing farmers. So basically what we have today is this transfer of wealth you're talking about that I watched with Monsanto's behavior is actually also the tech, big tech behavior. Mm -hmm. Do they produce anything? No. They only collect rents on digital platforms. They're rent collectors. And I'm familiar with this because the British Empire transferred 45 trillion from peasants of India to the wealthy of England, leaving the Indian peasant in famine. 60 million people died during the British rule. Man-made famine. And it was a rent collection. It was called Lagan in our language. So I saw the seed issue with Monsanto. I said, here, they're collecting rents from seed, which they didn't make. And they, we won't let them own it. And in effect, whether it's the Amazons or it's the Gates, they're basically rent collectors. And what they've done with this pandemic is literally create a coercive economy which depends on them and their rent collection. So I fought Walmart and kept them out in re after retail. We said, we're going to have retail democracy. India is just full of people in every corner sending something. It's such a beautiful country in terms of the tiny farmer, the tiny retailer, our bazaars, our hearts. That's where India's color comes from. That's where India's livelihoods come from. 
And we managed to mobilize to say, no, Walmart cannot destroy our retail. But the COVID, the engineered crisis of lockdown made Amazon explode its power. And because protests are illegal in this police state with the COVID, we couldn't mobilize the way we had on Walmart. Even grocery, because they send emails, they want to be our grocery suppliers. I spent my last 35 years working with farmers to have control over their production, over their distribution, and our farmers earn 10 times more than the commodity farmers. We're having a very intense debate on new agriculture laws, very much of the US kind, which would absolutely devastate 60% of India, but pushing their back into the famine days. So these are rent collectors. And I think this kind of exorbitant rent collection, I was just reading a paper that the super wealthy in the US have transferred 50 trillion to themselves. If 45 trillion was the British Raj for India from the 99% of the United States. So one is in the relief, then people are not getting money, but worse, they're extracting while they rob you of your job, they're still extracting you for that forced software program on digital payments, forced software program on pushing kids out of school into digital education. Poor Indian children whose parents are so poor that they could afford a universal education now cannot afford education because their parents have no smartphones. So we are seeing an engineered imposition of an economy. You know, as you know, Dr. Marcola, health comes from the evolution of a self-healing, self-organized system. A healthy economy grows as an evolution with choices, with justice, with equity. This imposition hiding behind, it has to be such a dishonest and such a scared bunch of trillionaires that they have to hide behind a tiny virus to get their gain. True economies would say, here is what I bring. And is my digital better than your cash? Choose it. Is my forced vaccination better than your immunity? Make your choice. The minute choice is removed from people's life, democracy is dead. And when the choice is removed from our conditions of being, our conditions of living, then life is threatened. Yes, indeed. So I'm uh, so much to unpack there. Thank you for sharing that. Is uh, just particularly curious. Uh, you mentioned the transfer of sixty trillion to this wealthy elite. Over what time frame is that in the U.S.? Thirty years. It's the so globalization period. Okay. It's because what is globalization but deregulation of commerce? Mm -hmm. It is knocking down every law that was put in place by democratic societies for the protection of the environment, the protection of health, the right to education, the rights of workers. Now that's what's being targeted. In India, they've just knocked down all labor laws. They're trying to knock down all Farmers' Rights Act, and they're trying to knock down all of the environmental laws. So again, this deregulation is what makes this wealth transfer happen. And the narrative, and this is where I really hope the justice movements that are marching on the streets in the United States on Black Lives Matter, Justice Matters, they need to wake up to the fact that the narrative of what is called the Steve Bannon all right, mm -hmm. 
is pull down all the securities that were put in place through democracy. All the laws that were put in place to protect society, justice, and the earth, and treat them as robbing people of freedom. And people thrown as, as you know, as really uh, feed for the trillionaires, that is people's freedom. People's freedom to destroy, to die of hunger, to have a job, to give so much to the insurance companies and the big pharma, this illusion of freedom that is the construct of the deregulation of our times, we need to start celebrating regulation that is self-organized in our body. Every cell is self-organized and it needs a membrane. If our body didn't have its skin, can you imagine what we'd be? If a community doesn't have its democracy with accountable mayors and accountable local government, a city, cannot govern itself. And in a country, sadly, they, you know, the nations are recent, but whatever it is in the last, you know, after the wars for 30 years, we put in place democratic systems which were the skin of sovereignty and democracy. And that skin is being ripped apart. And that's where the trillionaires are going. So um, you've been studying this for a long time. and a long time. <laughs> The implications are quite profound. So I'm wondering if you, I, I'm sure you have a, an impression or a suspicion of what their ultimate end game is, because this is not getting any better. I don't see any rays of hope on the, on the horizon. And I'm wondering what you think is going to happen in the near and perhaps uh, midterm future uh, as this continuous, continual transfer of wealth to the, the this, these tiny few persist. What 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 do you perceive as the ultimate yes. end? So you know, one of the other things that I've written about in the book, oneness versus one percent, is that Bill. I mean, all of them. You know, Facebook collects rents. He turns your minds into raw material. We are the new raw material for the tech barons. But Bill Gates is particularly vicious. Because through the Gates Foundation, he pretends to be doing philanthropy. But with every philanthropy of his, he's carving out a new colony from which he'll collect new rents and have new investments. That's why no matter how much he gives, he gets richer and richer and richer. A genuine giver would be poorer and poorer and poorer. If in, and in the book, I've analyzed how without him, there would be no commercial gene editing, which is the new GMO. He created a company called Editas to facilitate the patenting of these new GMOs. Geoengineering, climate resilient crops. I mean, everywhere where he thinks he can make money, he gives a little bit of money for vaccines. He gives a little money for biofortification. He's even written a contract with our government to be the advisor to India with its rich Ayurveda and its rich healthy traditions of eating. And he will do biofortification to, to solve the nutrition problem. So he is particularly vicious. Where do they want to take this? The first thing is, of course, they want to use their money-making tools to make more money. So it is a dictatorship of the technology balance. And that's why people should be paying a lot more attention to the violent imposition 
of digitalization. A lot of my friends who never studied the roots of these violent systems, who never understood that agrochemicals came from Hitler's concentration camps and the agrochemical industry is the poison cartel responsible for the genocide and they're continuing the genocide. When you don't realize that technologies as tools of domination and exploitation are not neutral, a lot of progressives think, oh, more digitalization, more democracy. How can a surveillance economy be an enlargement of your freedom? And you have to have the systems in place, the regulations in place, the choices in place to be able to make these technologies a servant and not your master. So one is just make money out of forced digitalization. Amazon makes so much money by forced digitalization of this distribution using the crisis and shutdown of local shops and local groceries. And like he did with the books and the publishers, but he's doing that to our daily bread today. The way he destroyed bookstores and the way he destroyed books is the way he's trying to destroy now the food system. He's grabbing it so fast, which is why he bought Whole Foods. But the second is a new merger. You know, when I started to work on Monsanto in 87, I realized the chemical industry was merging with, uh, with the new emerging biotech industry. And they were calling themselves the life sciences industry. So the second intention is a new merger of the old agricultural industries, the bios, the, um, the Monsanto's merged into bio, the tech barons with their digital tools and the financial world. And again, one more thing that's so important, Dr. Marcola, is in these three decades of deregulation and globalization, the billionaires became so wealthy that they created new asset funds. People put their money in banks. These guys created asset funds. These asset funds are controlling the world's economy. And that's the second part of my book, Oneness Versus 1%, when I realized the corporations don't own themselves anymore. Even the corporations are owned by the billionaires. The same Black Crocs, the same vanguards control every big companies, Coca-Cola to McDonald's to Bayern, Monsanto. Look at anything in the world. It's the billionaire money and the asset management funds. And last year, BlackRock increased its wealth from 1 trillion to 7 trillion, which means the billionaires increased their wealth. During the lockdown, they invaded even more deeply into the Amazon and, and became richer. So these invest asset management funds are the billionaire wealth and it is increasing. So that is merging with IT and information technology and the tech barons and is merging with biotechnology and the chemical industry. And that's why they're talking about digitalization of agriculture, farming without farmers and worse, food without food. So one of the big pushes of Gates and Silicon Valley is into fake food. And this has to be one of our big movements in the future, you know, GMO soya into impossible burger and they're saying this is saving the planet and your health, GMO will save your health and Roundup Ready GMO, which is wiping out plants and it's wiping out the monarch butterfly, is going to protect the planet. Uh, but I think the final issue is to me the justice issue. Because when India was locked down on March the 24th, before I noticed, 8 p.m., the Prime Minister announced everything was shut down. 
farmers who had been pushed out of the farms over the decade of deregulation now started to trudge back with their little bit of belonging on their heads, walking miles and miles and miles. A young girl died one hour before she reached home. Five workers lying on a railway track were run over because trains weren't running. And then a, a mail train ran over them. So this was the story all the time, every day. And my mind kept saying, we used to rise as countries and democracies to remove the pain of the last person. Gandhi left us with a talisman that if you're in doubt, bring the face of the most vulnerable person to your mind's eye and do what is good for them. And if you think it will harm them more, don't do it. If you think it will benefit them, take the right step. Now, this last person talisman is today showing me that they want to get rid of the last person. They've created and very willingly created a class of throwaway people, as I've written in my epilogue. Otherwise, how can they allow millions to lose their work. I think it's 40 million in the United States. It's a 20 million salaried people of the middle class have lost their jobs in India. How can they allow the fact that, as the World Food Program says, that of the billion who are already hungry, every year the system will add 250 million more. And if this continues, the UN has predicted that 300,000 will die daily of starvation. These are not us giving these figures. These are UN agencies. But how come there's only one agency, the WHO, which was attacked by Monsanto for being wrong on cancer? ILO is speaking. The UN Food Program is speaking. The refugee um, agency is speaking. None of them are being listened to. And that pain that is not being addressed by governments or the international system tells me that they deliberately want to get rid of large parts of humanity. First through hunger, then through sickness. And if I, I think, you know, I think like I thought when I made my Einstein, you know, with a whole picture in mind, they want a digital economy, they want a sick economy. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be spending all your time on big pharma, you'd spend your time. Not making sure that the small farmer doesn't get destroyed. And the third is, you know, I used to come to the United States, Dr. Marcola, when there was not a single person on the streets. I have watched the street people grow as the people's economy was dismantled. And now this throw away class of people is increasing in the millions. And, you know, Ma'am Zuckerberg wrote and said, we won't need 99% of humanity. Between artificial intelligence and robotics, we won't need 99%. But then they could create trouble. So we, we should give them smartphones to play games on which we also make money out of them and we make the governments give them minimum incomes. So, we, you know, these are the three aspects. More control, more concentration, and, you know, one of my um, commitments has been to look at power from the lens of the earth and the lens of women and patriarchy, patriarchal domination and ecofeminism. And I realize every wave of the new patriarchal 
capitalism and capitalist patriarchy destroys that which supports it. But because the arrogance of power is so deep, they don't realize it supports it. They think it supports them. They support it. And so the Bill Gates and the Zuckerbergs and the um, Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos and all are strutting around the world thinking they support the world, but they're destroying everything that made their wealth possible. And just like I've seen ecosystems collapse, I've seen local economies collapse on a planetary scale, we are seeing these irresponsible, greedy, indifferent, callous men bring the world, especially humanity, to a brain. That's why we have to act and find creative ways. Yes, indeed. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think the homeless population is going to radically increase even from what it is today because uh, largely as a result of the pandemic, they have put moratoriums on uh, evictions and uh, collecting rent. Uh, but there is a backlog. There, we are going to have this tsunami of homeless people in a, probably in a few months because they're already in arrears. It's just not this not being enforced. And it's already bad now, but it's just going to explode. So, uh, you know, it's it's just beyond sad. They've just abandoned these individuals and essentially created a, a two-class system. The middle class is, is nearly abolished. So Yeah, I think that, you see, earlier, I, it used to be the rich and the poor, yeah. you know, and in the middle, a middle class. What these three decades preceding and, you know, just like the the COVID doesn't kill you. It's the comorbidities. So the comorbidities of the society and economy are the inequality that was created created by deregulation and money making and um, um, and, and globalization. But its basic consequence really is destroying the very fabric of society. There will be no societies. I mean, industrialism and colonialism destroy the fabric of us being part of the earth. And that's why we have an ecological crisis that's built up now. 500 years of colonialism, 400 years of industrialism. But the pandemic and the 30 years of deregulation is bringing back colonialism and also making it the way of governance in the erstwhile homes of the colonies, uh, colonizer in the US, in the Europe, Europe is a little better because its welfare system has been kept a little protected. And this dismantling of protection has been worse in the United States. And because India follows so closely everything wrong that the US does, um, in India has had very brutal uh, growth of economy. But we are not just seeing the growth of inequality. We are seeing an end of society. And for me, society is about oneness, about realizing that you're part you're part of a culture, you're part of a country, you're part of a humanity. And when that's killed in you, every day, I mean, the level of brutal violence against women that's increased in India in the last 14 days, that is unbelievable. And, and we're seeing, you know, I, I, you know, people worry a lot about, oh, the end of nature. I think long before nature will be destroyed, Humanity could destroy itself, not because they chose to, but because this 0.001%. They're criminals. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I have. I used to say Monsanto is a criminal. It's 
We held the Monsanto Tribunal that they have engaged in crimes against nature and crimes against humanity. And they were tried as IG father, you know. On, only the German side was, but the American partners were very much responsible. And the American partners then continued that model. What this 0.001% is doing right now is ecocide and genocide. Yes, indeed. So th thank you for sharing that. And I, I wanted to go back a little bit and review your comments on Gates. Uh, and interestingly, how he had, he's, I mean, he, he, he implemented a very clever strategy, which he patterned after Rockefeller. Uh, he essentially uh, seeks to appear as a philanthropist, but when indeed he cleverly uh, took advantage of U.S. tax law and he had created a few corporations and foundations. And one of his foundations uh, donates to a trust and the trust actually makes the donations and those donations directly benefit him personally. So that's how it's possible and with, with tax benefits. So he gets this enormous tax deduction and then he benefits from the investment. So I mean, that's why you can donate tens of billions and increase his wealth by 50% or 100%. So, but it's interesting that in your, in your book, you, he, as I mentioned, he patterned himself up to Rockefeller who, who really is a big catalyst in this whole mess. Uh, and I'm a big fan of molecular biology, and I did not realize until reading your book that in 1938, it was the Rockefeller Foundation who really coined the term molecular biology and was responsible for catalyzing much of the interest. That blew my mind. I had no idea that was the case. And then, and then you go on to point out how this very foundation was largely responsible for funding a large percentage of the scientists who actually won Nobel Prizes. So they've captured the, the intellectual scientific elite so they can, uh, I guess, utilize them for implementation of their agendas. So, you know, the Rockefeller uh, Association actually goes back to the time when as Standard Oil before the company was broken up. Um, Standard Oil and IG Farben had a partnership. I've written about it in the book, Oneness versus 1%. And then when to clean up their image, they created the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation imposed chemical agriculture in the name of the Green Revolution on India in 65, 66. Uh, and, you know, they had thought it through. They were financing the research of Norman Borlaug. They got him a Nobel Prize. And on the molecular biology, they defined the, the field and then marginalized the rest of biology. Same thing is happening today on the health dimension. After all, we have so many specializations in health. We have so many approaches to health. I mean, I'm so proud to come from India with Ayurveda and agroecology and Ayoga. Uh, you know, Ayurveda has a lot to say, but even our top Ayurvedic place, when they came out, they were hounded out. They could not sell their immunity products. Yeah. So Gates is not just making money out of this very manipulated philanthropy. And I do feel some good civil rights lawyers who care about human rights should challenge this law to create accountability. But Gates 
is the one, I have a chapter in the book, I've called it Digital Dictatorship. You know, I, uh, 2015 was when I saw him try and control the climate debate. And then in 2016, he flew into India three days after our cash was banned and digital uh, transactions became compulsory. We are more digitalized than the United States. You can still write checks. You know? And 90% of the poor people lost their savings, their incomes, the small economy just evaporated. I did a little homework, who gains? The same software program, same way on midnight, a national tax system destroying our regional decentralized collections. Who gave the software programs? Be done before the announcement of GST. Microsoft. This digital agriculture they're talking about. Gates has taken over the entire world's research system in agriculture. Like at that time, it used to be Rockefeller. And Gates worked with Rockefeller for the Alliance for the Green Revolution in Africa. And that's where he learned the rhetoric on the agriculture thing. He's taking over the entire agriculture research. He's taking over, he's trying to take over the seeds, but that's something we will not let him take over. And his style is more devious than anyone else's. And he's a pathetic, you know, he doesn't have a vocabulary of more than 10 words. And I feel sad for him because he obviously, you know, doesn't have an imagination. He does know how to make money but in a very linear way. But he doesn't know what's humanity. He doesn't even know what being human is. And he definitely doesn't know what being alive is. He doesn't know what being part of the earth is because he and now Google, and this is another thing we need to be all looking out for. All of these tech barons who've taken over the economy, hiding behind a virus, are all jumping into life sciences like Rockefeller jumped into life sciences with molecular biology. And the, you know, when Google has a new life sciences division and they call it Verily or something like that. And when they were asked why, and they said it's about the truth. And this will be the final defeat of mother nature at a time when the world is waking up to the rules of nature in healthy bodies, healthy ecosystem, a healthy planet. At that point, they still are carrying on the colonial enterprise of defeating Mother Nature. So I, I'm curious, <clears throat> I didn't realize it, maybe I just, just passed me that, but you, you're, you stated that the uh, this year they implemented digital, uh, uh, digitalization of the financial economy so that you can't write checks anymore in India? Yeah, so 2016, 2016. The bigger cash was made illegal. They, they were no more legal tender. And, they, you they, know, they if legal, I'm earning 10 rupees, I save it in a, a fine. So that was 2016. Now, I can't go to my bank and get my own bank records. I can only do it digitally. And I'm still waiting for the bank to select, send me my, my cards and all, because I, I don't believe in that work. I believe in people. And I don't believe too much in money depends, but they basically, they keep talking faceless, 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 which in effect means no accountability. It means no community. I didn't know, Dr. Mercola, if you've read the book by Susanna Zoboff 
on surveillance. Oh, sure, I did. Yeah, I, I surveillance capitalism. And that integrated book. system, Excellent. which is simultaneously an economy, an extractive economy, where we are the mind, which is simultaneously a surveillance system, and which is simultaneously a surveillance state system, because they get everything through the state. I mean, look at the amount the governments have poured into the vaccine development. Look at the amount of money the government support. You know, our governments weren't willing to build schools, but our governments are willing to spend money on laying cables to the last village. Yeah? So I, I think this, these new subsidies that are coming is something we also need to be looking at. This is a reverse tax, tax on the people where the billionaires who are extracting from us are also extracting our share of public money and diverting it from necessary use to their subsidies to create the infrastructure that will make their digital empire work. So, you know, the United States is, is sort of leading this dash to collapse uh, by endless printing, you know, which they can e easily do in the digital age. Uh, so it seems like it's mathematically inevitable that there will be some collapse, uh, which uh, makes it the recent uh, meetings that the World Economic Forum had about the great economic reset uh, coming, that they're going to uh, basically reset the whole system and with more digital currency and and uh, you know, I'm not sure what, but it, I mean, I wonder what your thoughts are because I'm sure you've seen it. I mean, they, they, they are planning this. This is, this is not coming out of left field. This, as you mentioned earlier, this has been an engineered uh, pandemic that essentially yeah. allows them to uh, implement their, their, their long plan strategies. I mean, it, you, it, yeah. you can see by, by event 201, which preceded the pandemic by 10 weeks. I mean, this, this does not come out of left field. This was planned. Yes. So what, what, do you, what do you think their plan is with this great economic reset that the World Economic Forum talks about? Well, just looking very closely at their great economic reset is basically a, a, a further reset of our mental framework. And, you know, if, if the Industrial Revolution reset our thinking to say nature's dead, she's not living. Masculine birth of time, bacon, burn the witches who are learned women and healers. Uh, that reset created the foundation for the ecological destruction and the fragmentation of society. This reset is talk the language of nature, nature-based solutions, and continue to rip off nature. But now shut down people's economies, shut down the fishermen, shut down the farmer, shut down the tribal and the indigenous person and create a mega empire pretending you're protecting nature. And Gates is very central to this because as I said in 2015, I watched him in the Paris summit pretending he was going to protect nature but actually laying out recipes of new, new destruction. So the great, great reset that is really about recolonizing nature in more sophisticated ways by appropriating the language. You know, I wrote a book before Copenhagen, before the climate summit called Soil Not Oil. 
And till then the soil was, you know, neglected, agriculture was neglected. And after that, the movements that of regeneration, the movements of, of the, we that the earth has capacity to recycle. We have the capacity to recycle with her and that we can heal the broken carbon and nitrogen cycle and actually repair these systems. We know that now, but they're reducing. So for us, it is regenerate the health, regenerate the economy, regenerate the soil, regenerate biodiversity, regenerate farmers, regenerate rural systems. What is the reset for them? Take agriculture out of the hand of the small farmers. Now measure the carbon and reduce the regeneration language to turning carbon in the soil in the new commodity and trade in this. And I've had debates on this with many fellow travelers, and I'll give you just two examples. So there's, you know, the attack, like they attacked in, in, in the US, they attacked organic and then regeneration grew. In India, they attacked and are still attacking organic and created something called the zero budget natural farming. The man who they say is the founder basically uses three ancient techniques of cow manure, which we use, everyone uses in India. But he goes further and says, organic is more dangerous than an atom bomb. And then he goes on to say, and GMOs are part of natural. Of course, Gates says the same, that gene editing is natural and can't be detected, so it must not be treated as a GMO. So what they're basically now doing is, BlackRock, BNP Paribas giving big loans to the state, which then give fat loans to the um, to the farmer. And meantime, Gates is mining farm data. He's getting people placed in the homes of farmers to mine data. And then they are creating the algorithms to sell that data back. But all of this is now being reduced to carbon in the soil. You get zero percent for what you grow. You can get no needs of yours met through food and fodder, but we will allow you to trade in the global market on the carbon in your soil, and that's what will keep you alive. So this whole financialization of nature is one aspect. The second aspect is the Great Reset is redo the economy to make it look like those who are now disposable throwaway people deserved it. Oh. They'll create new... You know, they'll create, I mean, like they created the language of competition. And again, it comes to my mind when they brought globalization to South Asia. I remember Benazir Bhutto was the prime minister and structural adjustment was being imposed on India, Pakistan. And she said something at a conference of judges. She said, we are not able to make choices of our economy because on that we are tied to the global system. The thing our court should now do is make people who suffer under these new structural adjustments feel that they deserve that pain. They brought it on themselves because you weren't competitive enough, you weren't meritorious enough, you weren't greedy enough. So they've changed the economic system. And here is where I believe Susanna Zuboff's behavioral science issue, you know? make manipulate our thinking about ourselves and this manipulate our thinking about ourselves is creating a whole redefinition of humanity and this is where in my epilogue 
I had just received at that time the patent, which was Microsoft and, you know, it, it had been granted to Microsoft in America. And this was a world application. It's an application now um, in the world patent office, WIPO office. And it was, it's fascinating because it basically reduces human beings to users. Our bodily activity, our brain activity tapped in various ways. And everyone wants to have smartware these days. They, I should call it spyware. And that data goes through algorithms, which they write according to themselves. And those algorithms will decide what we are worth. And then bitcoins will be allocated to us. But every child born is born worthy. Every member of society has equal human rights. So they're undoing everything we put in place on humanity, on human rights, on democracy. This is where we need to be alert. I think we are also, you know, I think the whole issue of the pandemic and the lockdown was useful for them for two reasons. One, they could get everyone afraid. Second, they could get everyone distracted. While they took over the economy, they took over our minds, they basically transferred all the remaining wealth to themselves. Um, in India, I'm watching, and I'm giving, going through it, every one of us has lost our normal activity. You know, travel not allowed, um, everything shut down. What are people going to do? Their properties will be taken. In the villages, they're saying, we'll give you loans against your land. And I'm telling our farmers, don't take loans. The earth is so generous. Just work with her. Do organic farming. Have your seeds. You don't need a loan in agriculture. Because if you take the loan, your land will go. Mm -hmm. With BT Cotton, the farmers lost their lives with suicide. We have absolutely no idea what the cost of this engineered lockdown will be. And we need to be awake. Uh, that's why we need to be looking at the 0.001% and the virus. Viruses sort themselves out. We are viruses. You know, we are more virome and bio than human cells. You know this better than anyone else. So I don't think we should make put, you know, that that virus image that comes on TV, every program, every CNN, every BBC, which is controlled now, we know, by Bill Gates. Let's start looking at democracy, economy, humanity and start thinking about it and start thinking who's taking it away from us and defend it fiercely as every freedom movement, whether it was against slavery or it was against colonization, you have to protect that which you treasure and freedom and life are what are being taken right now. And I started on 2nd of October, a Satyagre for life and freedom. Excellent, excellent. So uh, I'm wondering if you give us an update on where India is right now with respect to the GMOs and the farming and kicking out Monsanto, especially that now uh, that Ms. Monsanto has been purchased and no longer Monsanto anymore. I mean, wh where where are they at? Are they are they embracing more organic farmer? Are you leading a movement to help them implement regenerative agriculture techniques and and uh, you know sort of circumvent some of this craziness? Well, you know, the work I started 36 years ago for ecological agriculture, nonviolent farming, and then the work I started with seed in 87, that continues and grows and becomes more relevant by the day. So during the lockdown, I was getting messages 
from our farmers because I've asked them all to grow gardens to save their seeds, create local markets. And they said the lockdown didn't impact us at all because we had our own food and our community had our own food. On the other hand, while in the courts, Monsanto got defeated, in science, it's got defeated all the new data, you know, four scientists got together and pulled together the data showing that it's been an absolute failure, BT cotton. It doesn't control pests. And I read that in America too, they're realizing BT cotton does not work. BT uh, technology does not work as a pest control system. We know it's failed technology, but they are entering illegally with Roundup Ready BT cotton, not through regulation, not through approval. And I think that's the other thing. When you talked about the Great Reset, mm -hmm. I think the system is assuming there will be no systems of regulation. We'll do as we want. No one will stop us. And there'll be individuals and there'll be communities who in, who in front of us will be very, very, uh, very powerless. And we're going to trample on them. So the illegality is what is allowing them to spread. And I'm working on a new citizen's report, which should come out anytime on the different aspects of Gates. It's taking every failed GMO we threw BT brinjal at BT eggplant out of India. He's taken it to Bangladesh. And then the propaganda is doing well, but it's failing there too. And then doubles the payment to the Cornell Alliance of Science to do more propaganda through Mark Linus. 2000, I wrote an essay when they were trying to build, bring the golden rice to India. I said, this is a blind approach to blindness prevention. We have so much food that is much richer in vitamin A and Growing this is the solution, not importing golden rice or growing it with 80 patents. We threw golden rice out. Gates takes it to the Philippines. And now there's a movement there to shut down golden rice and to shut down Erie, which is now controlled. The International Rice Research Institute, which the Rockefellers pushed for destroying the rice farming of Asia, it is now controlled by Gates. And this report has a whole list of all the institutions they're taking over. And this hadn't happened when I wrote the book, but um, it's in the epilogue and it'll be in our new report. He, he's so arrogant. You know, we know that the agriculture of coastal India is different from the agriculture in my terraces up in the mountains, that the agriculture of the desert is different from the wetlands. We have thousands of ways of doing farming. Gates announced in January this year, Gates Ag One. And where's the headquarters? Where Monsanto has its headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. So he wants one agriculture for the whole world. Totally controlled, every seed controlled, every farmer's brain controlled, or no farmers at all. All our diets controlled through fake food system where, as Bayer has said in the feedback on the Impossible Burger, and uh, the buyer said, this is a very big opportunity for us because we are the only ones who give large volumes of row crops and monocultures. And with fake food from the lab, there'll be a big demand of producing proteins and carbohydrates, not food, not whole food, proteins and carbohydrates, which will be reformulated in the lab with more GMOs. Um, so we are really watching and you know i personally feel that 
this, this assault is coming at a time where in India and the world, there's a new rising of consciousness of the planet and its living systems, of our health and our living systems and the connection between our health and the health of the planet. And at this point, to say, are we going to defeat Mother Nature and your body is our new colony uh, and your brains are our new minds, um, it needs a lot of brutal violence to impose. Yeah? They, to the extent they can keep the virus as their shield to hide behind, they will. But you know, the, while the one ag image is growing, but in India, of 10,000 years of farming, 60% still on the land, and an awakening that our farming is good farming, our food is the best. It is a civilizational context. It's now, you know, Sam Huntington was wrong that the whole civilization, uh, war of civilization, was about creating enemies. This civilization conflict is between civilizations around life and justice and humanity and a civilization of death and destruction and greed. Or, as Gandhi said, it's not worthy of being called a civilization. It's a culture. Or not a culture either. It's a disease. So, so what do you think is the best strategy that we can implement culturally and socially and individually to prevent this onward uh, progression that seems to be going forward to this end that you just mentioned? I think the first is we just have to absolutely not become victims of fear-mongering and absolutely point. resist yeah. hate. Yeah. Yeah. We have to resist fear and we have to resist hate. And think we are thinking beings. Let us use the minds we've been given. Let us rebuild community. You know, I again, I don't think the six feet distance is an accident. It's a combination of distancing, social, you know. Why did they use the word for social distancing rather than physical distancing? Six feet is a physical measure. But because they do want to complete the work of the Hobbes and the Descartes, of fragmentation and reductionism and separation, they now want us to forget that being human being means being in community. They want us to be users of their gadgets. So we must be community. We must remember that we are interrelated to the rest of life on Earth and to society. And that's why we have to be totally innovative in how we rebuild regenerative economies, uh, you know, build better. I don't like that word. Better? No, build life, rebuild life. You know, better always means someone has a measure. Yeah. And I think we lost a lot of time thinking the only issue was energy, how energy is produced. And we lost two decades of how food is produced. So I really believe that if people start becoming aware that eating well and eating good food is the single most important ingredient to health. And growing food in the right way is the single most important path to regeneration of the planet. And we make those two concerns become one concern or one health. This will rebuild community. Those who have money will put money. Those who have work will put work. Those who have Knowledge will put knowledge. And, you know, when I was doing this book, 
I was also as an appendix preparing a, 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 a glossary, a, a dictionary of distortions of economic terms. And uh, of course the publisher thought he'd make the book too fat. But I went to every term that is abused all the time by the billionaires. One of them is investment. You know, we are the investors, we bring money. The word invest till 1610 meant making beautiful, making healthy, taking care. 1600 is when the East India Company is created, when the merchants that of that time, the billionaires, they weren't billionaires, but the same robber barons of that time got together and said, let's go rip off India, make the East India Company. 10 years after that, they changed the meaning of invest, got rid of care, got rid of make beautiful and became how to make money out of money. Now that level of redefinition is taking place now, but it is taking place when we are already at the edge of the future of humanity. We are at the edge of whether there will be extinction or not. So we've decided we will push the majority of extinction, we don't care, and we will create dismantling of systems so the governments cannot care. We will make it impossible for governments to respond with care so that the governments take the tax money they collect and give it to us. That's why we need a democratic debate on taxation because we are being taxed to create our, our slavery. And I think just like, um, who was the person who, uh, uh, who did the poll civil disobedience? Toro, Toro, you know? Oh, yeah. When Toro refused Thoreau, to yes. pay, he refused to pay taxes for slavery, I think we need to start doing homework to say, how should the tax flow look? How is our money going to make the billionaires richer? How can they keep extracting more money out of us? And how is our public money the new subsidy to create the infrastructure for greed rather than be the public resources to create the infrastructure of life and of care and of solidarity? So these are foundational issues. They are no more sectoral issues, they are no more, this is a justice issue, and this is a sustainability issue, and this is a health issue, it's a humanity issue. Who are we as human beings? How will we live in the future? And what is the future we will create long after the robber barons are gone? Because they were there in the 1930s, and we learned how to get rid of them. We'll have to learn. I think if there's one project we should have, Dr. Makola, is strategies to get rid of the robber barrels, whatever it takes. Yeah, that's a, certainly a point for discussion. Uh, do you believe that we have hope to resolve this dilemma, this challenge of implementation of their strategies, specifically the, uh, the uh, continuation of the pro progress towards fake food and we're depriving us of the wholeness of our food that really is one of the intrinsic components of staying healthy? Or do you think that the society or culture will actually have to collapse and get in the gutter before we can recover? Very similar to the way many alcoholics have to go through that experience before they finally have the epiphany and wake up and then, and then uh, get out of their addiction? Or do you think that there's hope for us and we won't have to go to that level and that we can uh, avoid the fear and, and resist the fear that they're seeking to implement to uh, their tyrannical uh, strategies to deprive us of our personal freedoms and liberty. Do you, so 
Yeah, I guess that's the. What do you, are you hopeful that we'll be able to do that without this destruction of our society even more, or do you think we need to get more aggressive in implementing some of these strategies to resolve yeah. this? So first of all, I I don't think we have the luxury to be hopeless. Okay. <laughs> to be I like that. To be alive today means hope is something you must cultivate on a daily basis. And hope, cultivating hope is cultivating resistance. Cultivating hope is cultivating the strategy. So when I started saving seeds, I call them seeds of hope. I said, I don't know how we'll be able to fight Monsanto, but I do know this. If I don't save the seed today, there will be nothing to save. And they won anyway. There was no guarantee that we would be able to create seed movements. Today, 30 years later, people are saving seeds everywhere. Just, I mean, I'm doing a course. I, you know, we, we teach an annual course on regeneration. But this year, because of the lockdown, it, it's not physical on the Navdanya farm where you, I hope your listeners will go to the Navdanya website, navdanya.org. But we are doing it by Zoom. And I call it Return to the Earth, the A to Z of biodiversity and agroecology and earth democracy. And, um, and it's quite amazing. Here are very middle-class women attending the course because they said, the lockdown taught them how important growing their food is. And I took all the flowers out of the flower pot, and now I've got a kitchen garden. And this was at least five people in this community. So there is a growing awareness that we have to grow our own food, or we have to know the farmer who grew our, grew our food, and we have to create food communities, which we can call communities of hope and communities of resistance. And you know, I dealt with mining interests. I've dealt with forest interests. I think I've seen five generations of robbers make money. And if you have creative strategies and you have solidarity and you have imagination, I have seen the bell curve collapse on them. Mm. And I am absolutely confident that the greed of this generation of dictators and billionaires is so much, they're eating into the very foundations the people on the edge cannot be expected to rise up and say, I'll have a different food system. But those of us who have privilege have to work with those who don't to create a new health system, a new food system, and a new democracy, which I call Earth democracy. Well, that's uh, very hopeful. So what do you believe are the pragmatic uh, steps that one can adopt to uh, to maximize this hope for the uh, for society, and uh, we don't have yeah. to go into this impending what appears to be impending collapse. Yeah. So I think the first is because Gates controls so much of the media, and he took any honest narrative about what's happening and put it into the dustbin of conspiracy theory. It's extremely important that different sectors who care about freedom and justice sit together and say, okay, where are our taxes going? And where's the wealth going? And what is it in our current legal framework where we can stop this hemorrhaging of public money to move upwards to the billionaires? That's a very important practical work. The second is we all need to be looking at where the subsidies of the food system are being directed to creating their farming without farmers and food without food. Because on, on our tax money, we have a right. 
So the subsidy question is the second big question. And third is the democracy question. And democracy is lived. Of course, it's also votes. But the lived democracy is the one that sustains us even when the electoral democracy fails us. And so we must invigorate that and we, we can we begin with food. You know, it's not by accident I work so much on agriculture and food because it is the place to begin. And it is, it is literally the place where the earth and we are connected, where our bodies and our minds are one, where freedom and life become one. So it would seem that a good first step would be to uh, attend your upcoming Zoom conference on the, this this uh, annual event that is normally live, but now is going to be virtual. So how can people attend it? What is the name of the, the uh, how they could sign up? Well, if they go to the Nathaniel website. Nathaniel, what is it, Nathaniel? N-A-V-D-A, N-A-V-D-N-Y-A, which means nine seeds and the new gift. That's what it means. Okay, and, good. And this, the movement has started. And if you go to the Navdanya website, or you'll find Earth University. And you'll see a list of Earth University courses. And we welcome you. I so welcome you. And sometime in the future next year, Dr. Marcola, let's offer a course together. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, definitely. Because it's next year we'll be here before we know it. Gosh, it's... Hard to believe. It, it is really uh, exciting. I mean, you can get, it's so easy to get depressed about what's happening and, and disheartened. But you, I, I think I, it's really inspiring to hear you reinforce the fact that it's so important to remain hopeful and diligent to these opportunities so that next year can be far better than this year. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to do our bit. Yeah, yes. So the seeds of hope. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the title of your book again is One is Versus the 1%, which is really now that, you know, I read the book, but hearing your perspective on it, it makes even so much more sense because it's exactly what it is. It is really this wholeness, this uh, of our culture, of the society that, that, that is really pivoted against this small percentage of the population that seeks to control and dictate to us for their own personal greed. So good job. Really enjoyed the book <laughs> and what, and even more uh, really greatly admire and respect the pioneering work you've done and continue to do to, to fight the suppression, to help uh, resolve some of the injustices that are being implemented in the world. And you really serve so many people with your work. So thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you, Dr. Mercola. Pleasure talking to you. Okay.